You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is John Mueller. He is co-founder and CEO at Greenlight Dispensaries. We're going to talk about the world of the retail side of cannabis. We're going to talk about several different markets Greenlight is in and really kind of what they've learned and kind of where things are going and where we're going as an industry and how they plan on navigate some of these things. So with all that, John, welcome to the program. Well, thanks, Bruce, and uh, thanks what you do for the industry as well. So excited to share some time with you. No, oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for being on. Before we dive into Greenlight and everything that you're doing today, I always love to get a little bit of background and what people have been doing prior to their uh, roles and into their involvement in cannabis. Um, give us a little backstory. What, how did you get? Um, you know, how did you get into this business? What was the um, uh, series of events that led you here? Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, sure thing. Basically, completely unemployable. So we've uh, we've always been a serial entrepreneur. My brother and I have been co-partners in uh, basically uh, every business we've been in. Started off in USDA processing and barbecue companies and yeah. cattle feedlots <laughs> in China and road construction in Ukraine and everything in between. <laughs> yeah, everything in sense. between. So it uh, we still have a road construction company. We've done some tech companies and. And uh, basically, we, we love emerging markets, and that's kind of what brought us to the marijuana industry. And uh, so basically looked at uh, my brother's father-in-law was in one of the medical collectives in California, so we got to watch and go on, go on rides to see what the impact is on patients. And yeah. uh, didn't like the California market happily <laughs> and uh, <laughs> stay, stay, stayed away from uh, Colorado when all that was going on. And, and we went all in on Nevada. And uh, partner with the uh, Michael and Jenna Morton of the Morton Steakhouse family, uh-huh. and uh, obviously his brother had Hard Rock out there and uh, le- legendary status, uh, entrepreneurially speaking. And so we partnered with them out in Las Vegas, and we're happily won six licenses out there, built up a nineteen thousand square foot dispensary, which was the largest in the country for. Uh, for a little bit until Planet 13 dwarfed us. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. And uh, and then also had, uh, you know, over 300,000 square feet of, of cultivation space built out uh, right outside of Las Vegas, another dispensary. And then we also opened 270,000 square feet back in California in, in the Salinas Valley area. And uh, did that for about uh, three years. And then uh, Cureleaf came along and, and uh, did a... a nice nine-figure transaction with them to take off both those assets. And so we had non-competes, and we came back to the Midwest where uh, we were born and raised in St. Louis. We both live in Kansas City now. And so uh, came back to the Midwest, won one in Arkansas, have since acquired two more in Arkansas. 
and then uh, re- really have a nice, nice footprint in our, our home state of Missouri. 15 stores stretched across the entire state from Kansas City to St. Louis down the southeast, southwest. And uh, that's turned into a real interesting market, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah. And, and then uh, start, start taking it from there. So we start building out green light to the other states from there. But uh, the, the history of serial entrepreneurs, completely unemployable, have never signed the back of a payroll check. And, uh, and going into an emerging market, which... Uh, was was real exciting, and now with the equities where they're at, is uh, more challenging and interesting out there right now. Oh, sure. You know, lots of questions, but I, I'm curious, when you originally, I guess, got into cannabis, you know, coming out of some of these other industries, and while, you know, lots of, you know, clearly interest and involvement in high-growth kind of dynamic industries, what, what were the things that really, I guess, that you anticipated coming into cannabis that were going to be different, or you were going to have to kind of figure out, and what were the things that were kind of surprises that maybe, you know, other industries didn't really prepare you for in terms of what cannabis entailed? Yeah, I, I, I tell you, we, we, have, we have a broad background from, I mean, like crazy stuff. We're, we're troubled asset workout guys, so we buy a bunch yeah. of, of crazy stuff from banks as well. And uh, <laughs> I tell everybody, I was like, cannabis is the most challenging business that, that we've ever been into. Like running a cattle feedlot in China, in the middle of nowhere in China, is, is far easier than, uh, than the industry we're now in. So uh, I, I think, you know, obviously the regulatory issues, the politics that go into that. And, uh, you know, especially back in the Nevada days for us, where the banking challenges of not knowing if those payroll checks are going to clear, uh, even if you've got money, you know, because the bank shuts you down and you're, you're leapfrogging from place to place and, mm-hmm. and, you know, making sure the health coverage and not being able to do 401ks and all those things that you do in traditional businesses, you know, all that coupled together you know, makes it really challenging. And then also, you know, not coming from the industry before going through some of the trials and tribulations and, you know, what we kind of call our, our 1.0 version of our cannabis career here. You just didn't know what you didn't know. And, uh, you know, you, you bring in, you know, the quote master grower that, uh, allegedly knows everything and you find out maybe they don't. And, uh, every, everybody's got new widget and new idea. And, and some of those are good and some of those are bad. So, I think the the unknown was the biggest thing, and even though we've you know we've had a ton of legal experience, ton of financing experience, but um, you couple all that stuff together, this is definitely the most challenging, and it definitely ages you in dog years in this business. <laughs> exactly. And originally, you mentioned you looked at California, and it sounded like at least Colorado for a little bit. What what, what didn't interest you about those markets so much in the beginning, and why Nevada for your first venture? Yeah, I, I think limited license is our thing. And uh, so when you looked at California and, and basically trying to put a 20-year genie back in the bottle uh, is yeah. very challenging, and still today is a, a very tough market. And you see most of the MSOs are, are evacuating from that market in some way, shape, or form, or at least the big guys are. So I think, you know, same thing in Colorado. If, if uh, back then there wasn't really the application process and, and the number of licenses out there uh, was, you know, excessive in our opinion. So going into where you knew the, you know, there was going to be X number of licenses and, and if you won those, they had value from the get-go. And, and so you're building something that would have an exit strategy associated with it. So I think the limited license is kind of our shtick when you look across everything that Greenlight's doing right now. Yeah, yeah. And so when, when you went um, to Missouri, I mean, tell us a little bit again, about, like, what was really attractive about Missouri relative to some of these other states at, at the time for you? Yeah, I, I mean, besides the obvious that it's, you know, home, home field advantage and, and yeah. we live here. And so uh, traversing that is a little bit easier for us and, and keeping our finger on the pulse. 
but uh, also, you know, same as, you know, same with Nevada. It's a limited license. You know, there's X number of licenses out there and, you know, they are all going to do a certain portion of volume. You hope your stores do more than the average ones out there, which lucky enough we are today. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think seeing that limited license out there and when you go through an application process and, and writing those apps and, and showing your experience off versus, you know, writing a check for 2500 bucks like the state of Oklahoma and, and you're in business and, and maybe you shouldn't be in that business. So, <laughs> Yeah. And as you've grown to some of these other states, what's been your kind of thesis, you know, or, or kind of nuanced decisions around which states you move into, when you move into them, or are there any kind of triggers or things internally to your business or to the market that prompt that? Yeah. I, I mean, one, one, it's back to knowing the number of licenses that are going to be out there. So like a, a Mississippi right now is would, would make logical sense for us, but uh, we're slowly looking at that market because it could look more like Oklahoma, which is a market we would never go into uh, <laughs> just because, you know, there's one on every block. You got 1,900 dispensaries out there, 20,000 cultivators and no regulatory environment. So you got more black market coming out of there than anywhere else in the country right now, uh, at least shipping to the Midwest. But uh, it's it's these kind of getting in on the front end of these ballot initiatives and also legislative procedures that are going through to go in those states that have crafted a program around getting real operators in on a limited basis where they can build up a portfolio of assets and really invest in in those uh, in those markets in a in a controlled environment, which is you know obviously we're betting on the fact that this should be a, a control regulated environment tested and and we don't think state lines are going to open up anytime soon so uh, mm-hmm. our bet is basically those limited license markets so anyone that's kind of moving down that track whether it's you know North Carolina today where they're crafting their legislature Kansas right across our border here we want to be in those and you know we submit in Alabama and Texas and Florida and we're they have an X number of licenses out there is, is really the key so you can go in and really invest build beautiful facilities that are up and operational at the front end of that equation instead of trying to go into these markets where you're buying licenses and and uh, having that dead dead capital on the balance sheet. Yeah. Well, I guess, how have you been capitalizing these businesses? Is this all through internal profits? Or are you taking outside money? Where are you getting that? Yeah, we, we've raised a, a, a very, uh, very limited amount of money. And uh, we, we've been fortunate enough. We're very frugal with our shareholders in investment, but uh, you know we're we're only I think twenty five million dollars into our equation, and we've got twenty six dispensaries up and operational, and one hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. square feet, and another ten dispensaries under construction. So uh, we've we've bought some licenses, sold some licenses, and and uh, we're we're very very frugal with our uh, our capital here. So mostly it's my my brother and I are the uh, the vast majority of the uh, equity on on the stack mm-hmm. today, and and we like that position. And uh, yep. I, ideally, we're you know as we sit today, we're we're currently debt free, and uh, which is very advantageous when the <laughs> yes. equity yeah when the de- equity markets and and you're now seeing some of these debt debt structures are going way up as as we're seeing some defaults in our industry. Yeah, was that strategy? Was that necessity? I mean, I, I guess you know obviously it's a huge advantage right now given the way everything's played out on the current markets. But I guess how much do you feel like? You anticipated that, and how much do you feel like it was just the situation you were in, and, and you happen to be benefiting from the way things are playing out? Yeah, and I, I think uh, you know better to be lucky than good. But uh, <laughs> the uh, you know we we took we took some of the win off uh, off of what we did in selling Nevada and and uh, California, and, and brought that yeah. back to to build up green light. And we and we also had that infrastructure of people from those two assets 
that uh, allowed us to get up and rolling uh, more efficiently than others. But, uh, you know, and, and we brought some of those partners from those uh, from those previous investments out there and in, into in Greenlight as well. But uh, I, I think it's it's better lucky than good. And, and we just didn't want to have any any big uh, things hanging around our neck at, you know, high yeah. teens kind of interest rates that you're seeing out there in the cannabis industry right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. And I'm curious a little bit about the markets themselves and kind of the, the medical versus the adult use. How how have you seen those two sides of the market kind of play out in some of these states? And have they helped each other, hurt each other? And do you have any, you know, kind of strategic positioning around these things of looking for states that have certain types of medical or certain types of adult use or handling these in certain way that are more advantageous for you? Yeah, I think you look, uh, generally speaking, besides Arkansas, uh, this this last November, the ballot initiative states have the best chance of, of flipping over to adult use. As we've seen, you know, the general public sentiment is uh, is far better than trying to work it through, you know, a heavy Republican state like Missouri, uh, where yeah. we'd never get anything out of the Capitol versus going to a ballot initiative. So we've been supportive of uh, basically ballot initiatives in, in any of these markets. So uh, I think we were the largest donor here in Missouri. And also uh, we're we're writing smaller checks in, in Arkansas to help that initiative and also up in South Dakota, which that one was kind of a surprise. But uh, anytime you can you can be a part of the uh, the rule writing plan and, and making sure that we have a tightly regulated market in, uh, in ballot initiative states, that's always the best. And then uh, states like Kansas that are legislative states and you don't really have the ballot initiative opportunity, you, you've got to go down and, and, uh, and get uh, a whole bunch of conservatives comfortable with, um, with the fact that getting it regulated and, and out of the black market is, is obviously the better answer than, than the current program is, as prohibition is, is dying off, uh, dying off as, as every year progresses. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you feel like that is working? I mean, I think we we are pulling you know product out of the illicit market. I mean, what's your what's your take on the dynamics between these two? Oh yeah, you you can see it in you know like in in Missouri where we obviously just went adult use uh, now uh, back on uh, let's see what was that February third, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know you could see one obviously every person that was coming in the store. I don't believe that they were not consuming prior to coming in the store, and so. <laughs> yeah. Not, not a bunch of first-time cannabis users. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, uh, you know, when you have thousands of people showing up every day, those people are not, you know, first-time users. And so uh, every dollar that we sell is a dollar that doesn't go to the black market. And, uh, and you know, we, we're regulated, test for 54 different contaminants in our product. And quite frankly, the cost structure is, uh, you know, with a low tax rate, which is which is good and, and good part of being part of the ballot initiative program is, you can keep those tax rates lower, where you actually do put a big dent in the uh, in the black market out there. So I think uh, every one of those people coming in, when you're seeing you know three to four times your sales that you were in your medical program, even though we had 200,000 medical patients in in Missouri and and the fastest growing medical population in the country, and uh, you see you know three or four x that since you know since February 3rd, that's a that's a big difference, and you're you're taking a bite out of the stuff shipping out of Oklahoma and uh, and coming across the border and also obviously coming out of the, the West Coast specific, specifically. So, yeah. yeah. How are you kind of managing or navigating the um, regulatory kind of operational differences between some of these states? And I think it's, you know, there's there's this perception of, hey, yeah, you, you get all these sort of cost advantages or benefits of scale when you go multi-state operator. 
but you know, where are the friction points and, and where is that difficult given kind of the regulatory changes or differences between the states? Yeah. I mean, each state has their own regulatory environment and, and how you traverse that is obviously a little different in each state. But when you look at our industry as a whole, like 90% of that equation is the same in Missouri as it is in Arkansas, as it is in South Dakota or anywhere else. And so you get the bulk of that, that you can get the economies of scale and then then grinding on those little tweaks uh, left and right. Some are a little tighter and they want a different vault and and you need to go in front of a cannabis commission versus, you know, submitting something on a on a form. You know, th- those little tweaks from a compliance standpoint are different. But at the end of the day, you know, we're we're in the business of of growing a cannabis plant and uh, putting it in a package and, and selling it. And, uh, you know, through the same POS station that we have, you know, across all all our dispensaries today. So you do get the economies of scale and uh, they you just got to be frugal as an MSL with with your how you're spending that, you know, investor dollars are, are now we're using cash flow to basically build out everything. Yeah. And where do you strike the balance? I mean, I think you, you mentioned earlier in the program that your your kind of bet is that we're not going to have a big federalization of the cannabis industry anytime in the immediate future, but how, how do you kind of balance the investing in infrastructure and and uh, facilities and things like that on a state-by-state basis versus, hey, I should really start anticipating that we could go federally legal and I want to kind of centralize some of these things and not have to have seven different processing uh, facilities across different states, but I could have one, you know, the service that, like, how, how do, I guess, how do you balance the current situation versus a potential future situation when you don't really know the time frame and it's like, how, where do you place your bets? How have you thought through that? Yeah, I, I think it, it depends on state by state. I, I think you got to be really cautious of not losing money betting on something that's going to happen in a decade from now. You know, so I, I think uh, putting too many dollars towards that master plan. Now, we do have in Kansas City where I'm sitting today, we got 150,000 square feet and I'm leasing an, another building that's 100,000 square feet that's attached to that. That can service a lot of green light locations if those borders ever open up. But I, I think it's going to be my kids that are, are worrying about that, uh, <laughs> not not myself. So I, I just don't see uh, I just don't see that happening too often. It's more about servicing your, your entire infrastructure. And then also with a big footprint, partnering with other people that, you know, you're buying their products, they're buying yours and you expand that wholesale business. So I think it's, it's more, more localized and, and we're surely not making any, any big bets that, uh, these borders are going to open up anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about products a little bit. Where where have you found as being, I guess, the big kind of product categories for you? What big shifts have you seen? I mean, how have you kind of managed production and capabilities and kind of demand and, and putting things in the market on the product side? Yeah, well, I, we, we generally do the 80-20 rule, you know, you know, 20% of the products do 80% <laughs> of the business. And, yeah. and we generally focus on those from our manufacturing and processing uh, some people call it, but uh, and cultivation obviously is uh, is sitting at you know still at sixty percent of the equation today. Although now that we just went adult use, we're we're to a fifty fifty, which it took Colorado, uh, I don't know, maybe eight nine years before it finally reached that fifty fifty threshold. So I think the uh, the market's a little more uh, astute, and also obviously if you have borders, it's it's a lot easier to uh, basically bring uh, a gummy versus. Uh, flower that smells up your car uh, somewhere else. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we're we're about a fifty fifty now in in you know the state of Missouri and and you look at our Arkansas with a, a tightly regulated medical market. 
it's uh you know you're about 60 62 percent flower products so I, I think you're you're seeing those more but we have other people that white label green light uh, concentrates and things like that but uh we generally focus on the 20 percent of the products out there that you know as far as skew count that uh that actually do the bulk of the business in the stores yeah and and i guess from a brand point of view what have you seen kind of happening or, or how has the market kind of evolved in terms of brand recognition or brands that are kind of being you know in demand that are doing well what are how are consumers behaving around brands uh in the markets that you're in yeah i think quite frankly i thought it would be a quicker where a brand controls a lot more than it does you know and, and it's more about their their social presence and you know basically getting out in the individual markets i mean so some people they buy a Smokies gummy in in colorado or wherever and they'll they'll want to do that here as well, but it's not near as much as uh, I thought it would be at, at this stage of the game, and as long as cannabis has been around. So you know, we we do a marijuana farmers market where we try and connect the brand directly with the consumer, and it and it's a, a wonderful buying experience. But our, our thesis over time is that finally it will be closer to the alcohol industry where you're buying the Tito's instead of the Grey Goose or whatever. But, uh, you know, we, we think the brands will win over the course of time, but it, it has not been as fast as I thought it would be. And I'd, I I think it's just, you know, all those brands getting their foothold and, you know, they don't want a deficit spend to build a brand, yeah. you know, that's that that's going to take another 10 years to be distributed. Yeah. Yeah. What have been some of the other, I guess, sort of operational challenges that you've had to face or that as as you've kind of evolved the business? you know, big kind of milestones or big things that, that shifted for you operationally? Uh, well, I'm, I'm uh, mad as I sit today as we ran out some out of product over the uh, over Super Bowl. <laughs> so that, that's my operational challenge as we sit today. Uh, I tell you, we, we were lucky enough to bring a lot of the people that were in our previous business. And so I, I, I feel like we're making less mistakes than others out there, operationally speaking, and, uh, and upgrading facilities for uh, producing better flour and and uh, I, I think those, you know, operationally is, is getting that stuff dialed in. And, and now we've had almost two years to uh, to do that here at our, our two largest facilities. And, and the quality of the product is much better today than it was uh, back then. So I think you're always tweaking that, uh, whether you're in the widget business or the, the marijuana industry, I think. But uh, I think operationally, that's been one of our challenges. And, and also, I, I look, we've, we've done some redesigns just to handle the influx of additional uh, consumers in the building to add, you know, lobby pickup uh, windows and expand the drive-through lanes. And, and also, like the vaults, I, in hindsight, I would, uh, I would build my vaults much bigger than I did previously when we were in the medical market. So doing those renovations and getting that flow down where you're focused on nanoseconds for that consumer coming in and out of the building, I think is, uh, is critical. And, you know, you, you learn that stuff. L- luckily we, we made a tremendous amount of mistakes in, in our, in our Las Vegas and California operations <laughs> and we're making yeah. less on this one. And, and I find it easier, you know, that, that was, you know, relatively, that was 75 people that, uh, were working, uh, working for me and out in Nevada as an example. And, you know, we're over, you know, I think we're 410 or so that work for Greenlight today and my life's much easier than it was back then. So it's a, uh, I, I think all that stuff kind of going through Cannabis 1.0. And there, yeah. there's a group of, of us like that are kind of reloading. You know, we sold off our assets to to the big five and a bunch mm-hmm. of those previous founders that are kind of used to grinding on a daily basis on on how their operation works. It's, it's a lot easier on second round. So I think you see a bunch of uh, people like us that are in that Cannabis 2.0 that, that can be good operators. Yeah. 
Yeah, how do you think this the multi-state operator world is going to play out? I mean, we've got a couple of big ones. We've got a, a, this a, a lot of these kind of I'll call it sort of mid-sized multi-state operators, where you know three to five kind of states and you know significant operations, but you know definitely a step down from the, the, these big guys. Do you, is this going to be roll-ups, or you know are we going to see some shifting of assets? I mean, I, how do you anticipate kind of the the top half of this market, the multi-state end of this market kind of playing out. Yeah, I, I think that the, the five that are listed, the top five that are listed today after, you know, the Cresco, Columbia Care consolidation, then, yeah. you know, obviously the other guys that we all talk about, uh, I, I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd love to see their debt loads get get, <laughs> get, get reduced on there. But uh, you, you look down the stack from there and, and you've got some real aggressive debt structures out there that... Uh, that would be challenging, challenging to suck up into uh, into them. Yeah. And I also think you you look at like you know truly acquiring Harvest and and the integration that 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 takes and and year and a half or so to to get that oh, up yeah. and operationally and and get that generating a, a good positive EBITDA. I think is uh, has been challenging, and so I, I think there will be a, a bunch of you know obviously we get uh, something we move all these guys to the big board through through safe or uh, descheduling or something else. I think you'll start seeing those MSOs get out there and and start looking at the footprint. Obviously, we we've kind of focused in states that they're not, quite frankly, mm-hmm. and uh, so I I think I think there'll be some M and A stuff, but I don't think it's going to happen with you know equities at twenty eight percent of the value of where they were. So I think we're all uh, we're all waiting for something to happen uh, ha- happen out of DC. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about that. I mean, what. I guess what are you waiting for, short term, long term, e- either on a federal or on a state basis? You know, th- things that are going to change kind of the shape of the industry or allow it to move in different ways. W- what are the what are the things you're watching? Yeah, I, I think I, obviously we all were optimistic that Safe was going to get done, which is the the lowest hanging fruit of there, and just getting people to uplist, and uh, you can still see the valuations out of Canopy, et cetera, that uh, that have have kind of uplisted. So I think getting those those guys off the CSE. And moving them over, that will totally change their their equity structure, and those will get back to a normalized level. When you can buy these, you know, the top five guys at a five times EBITDA deal is is crazy. So yeah. I, I think they're brutally getting beat up over that. And obviously, if we had a two eighty E change to uh, to get rid of that tax that's coming out to the entire cannabis industry, including yeah. myself, that's going to totally <laughs> flip those uh, those P and Ls. Uh, and yeah. I think you'll start seeing dividends, et cetera. So. I think obviously we've got to see something out of DC, and then I think everybody will kind of relook at uh, how do they expand their business, and then I think they're going to look at a creative acquisition of, you know, groups like us that are that are making a decent uh, amount of money, and uh, and that that will be very attractive to to find some kind of merger partner then. Yeah, good. Um, and anything else on your kind of strategic plan coming up in the next, you know, coming quarters in terms of moves or, you know, new new markets, new stores? What, what's on your plan? Yeah, we, we've got uh, one. We've got an in-house application team. So looking at, you know, Texas and and uh, Florida, both coming out in, in the end of April here. We, we already submitted down in Alabama and helping the legislative process in Kansas and North Carolina and, and just being active in the industry and trying to be an industry leader on that. So that's uh, that's one hat we wear uh, pretty heavy, and then uh, we still got 10, 10 dispensary licenses sitting in our back pocket that are under construction or are uh, we're we're locating right now. So getting those ten other stores up and operational, and and uh, and obviously fine tuning the 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 other twenty six that are currently operating is is where we're at, and we're you know we're we're 
buying, uh, you know, we're strategically acquiring in a, in a couple of key markets here too. So I think that that's a big portion, but we always say we got, we wear an operational hat and a, and a, a construction hat because uh, we're building the footprint when a lot of others are contracting right now. And I think, I think that's a good play for, for Greenlight and, yeah. and our shareholders. Yeah, that's excellent. John, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Greenlight, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, one, just Google John Mueller and marijuana, and for better or worse, I pop up there. And then <laughs> uh, then obviously go on the greenlightdispensary.com. It kind of gives you our, our footprint and uh, and what we've been doing. And and uh, I, I really appreciate your, your time on here and what you do for the industry. So it's it's been fun. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, John. I'll make sure all the information is in the show notes so people can get that. John, thank you so much for taking the time today. All right. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.